Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Brett Baer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. We keep hearing about World War III and the actions the U.S. and NATO allies are taking to avoid it. But as the president heads to Europe this week, the rhetoric shows no signs of tempering as everyone takes a stand, including U.S. lawmakers. This is just a lose, lose, lose situation for everybody. And Lisa Brady. We may want to move on, but the pandemic isn't over and neither are the COVID debates, vaccines, immunity, masking, with another version of Omicron on the march. I also don't like the division in the United States between fear mongers that constantly scare us and denialists who think the thing is gone. I don't think we need either reality. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. President Biden will travel to Brussels to meet with NATO allies on March 24th. That date will mark one month since Russia's war in Ukraine began. And since then, as he signed off on billions of dollars of aid to Ukraine, including defensive military assistance, he's repeatedly invoked among the scariest of scenarios as something he's trying to avoid with a nuclear power like Russia. The idea that we're going to send in offensive equipment and have planes and tanks and trains uh, going in with American pilots and American crews Just understand, and don't kid yourself, no matter what you all say, that's called World War III. This weekend, as what was left of the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol was pretty much destroyed, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, who's been addressing lawmakers in different countries across the globe begging for help, uttered the phrase again, as he insisted through a translator that direct talks with Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, must happen. I think that without negotiations, we cannot end this war. But... If these attempts fail, that would mean that that this is a third world war. While President Biden has said no American troops will be sent to Ukraine, we will defend every inch of NATO territory. And he's headed to Poland after his meeting in Brussels. The comments out of Russia have been heated. Putin has said he will cleanse Russia of traitors and scum who don't support what they call an operation in Ukraine. And Monday, Russia's defense ministry pledged to continue using hypersonic missiles on fortified targets. Their foreign ministry called for a meeting with the U.S. ambassador in Moscow, John Sullivan, to say President Biden's comments that Putin is a war criminal puts Russian-American relations on the verge of a breach. After which, President Biden warned that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks. Well, I'm, I'm afraid what we're going to end up with is uh, Vladimir Putin, who simply cannot lose. Ron Johnson is a Republican senator in Wisconsin. Who is evil, uh, who shows no remorse whatsoever for destroying cities, killing women and children and men, civilians. He did it in Aleppo and Syria. He did it in Grozny, Chechnya. Uh, he's doing it throughout Ukraine. And so my guess is because he knows he can't lose, he'll continue to do that. And he can destroy a lot of Ukraine, but he'll never conquer Ukraine. 
And so the Ukrainians have shown themselves to be incredibly courageous patriots. They're going to defend their children, their families, their country, their democracy, their freedom, their values. And Vladimir Putin, in the end, will probably be in the same situation as he was in Afghanistan in a long-term insurgency, bleeding Russia, doing great damage to Ukraine, even though Russia guaranteed their territorial integrity with the with the Budapest Memorandum. And of course, they're, you know, again, Russia can't be trusted. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate. I, I think our role has to be to support the courageous people of Ukraine and give them the lethal defensive weaponry they need to defend themselves. You've been quoted as saying um, that in speaking with European ambassadors and folks in Europe generally, that they were really shocked by the invasion. But you just cited Aleppo, Grozny. Um, I, th- I think we could even include Georgia in there um, in 2008. As shocked as they were, I guess in hindsight, as you reflect on Vladimir Putin and sort of his trajectory, is is that shock naive at this point? Well, I think when I was trying to the ambassadors from some of the surrounding countries, uh, I'm not saying I'm not sure shocked is the right word. They just didn't think he'd do it because mm-hmm. there's no winning here for Vladimir Putin. This is just a this is just a lose 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 situation for everybody. And you know the, the only explanation for it is just that Vladimir Putin is an evil, megalomaniacal narcissist that has this idea of reconstituting the greater mother Russia. I guess he can be called Tsar Vladimir or Tsar Putin at some point in time. That's all this is about. It, if, if he cared about Russia, if he cared about Russia, the Russian people, he would have accepted the outstand, outstretched hand of, of friendship with Europe. He would have fully ingrained in the European economy, lived by the rules, and he and his people would be so much better off. But that's not what's happening. This is, this is evil. This is evil what is happening. We're witnessing it, and I think you have to fight evil. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, was quoted last week as saying that sanctions make us stronger. If there was any illusion that we can rely on Western partners, that illusion is no longer there. He said we will now never accept a world order dominated by the U.S. We will have to rely on ourselves and our allies who stay with us. I think that feels like rhetoric that that sounds bigger than Ukraine. I mean, he's talking about a world order. He's talking about the United States. What does world order look like? if Russia doesn't accept the U.S. as a dominant player? And is that also a financial dig at the power of the U.S. dollar? You know, my concern is the new world order would be Russia combining with China, North Korea, Iran, Venezuela, Hmm. Cuba, you know, all the tyrants, all the totalitarians, you know, all those countries that do not value freedom and a pluralistic society uh, banding together. Uh, But good luck with that. What Putin tried to do is, you know, divide NATO. He's made NATO stronger. He unified NATO. Uh, he has not accomplished his goals, and he will not accomplish his goals. Just in terms of economic might, Western Europe, together, combined with the U.S., we are, our, our GDPs are well north of 30, $35 trillion. Uh, Russia, depending on how you calculate it, 2 to $3 trillion. Now, China, obviously, is a world superpower. But they also depend a great deal on trading with the world and and exports. Uh, They are playing a very dangerous game here in allying themselves with this evil. I'm not exactly saying that they're a bunch of choir boys either. I mean, we see they have no respect for human rights. Uh, There are all kinds of atrocities that China commits on its own people. 
Senator, on, on, the, on the China front, I want to interrupt because I have a really pointed question about that. China sounds like they want to have it all, right? They want to walk this very, very fine line of we're not going to condemn, but we're not going to offer material support. Um, China's ambassador went on a Sunday news show this past weekend and said, our trusted relations with Russia are not a liability. It's an asset in the international effort to solve the crisis in a peaceful way. Can they have it all? Can they walk that, that line? Can they, can they do both things and, and help Russia sort of by not condemning them and by sort of still being an ally and yet still have a relationship with the rest of the world in, in an economic way? Well, so much of uh, different nations' economies are tied to China right now that uh, disentangling them will take some time. But I think that's what they'll find over time. And I think China, again, will will suffer the consequences as well. I, I don't think it's a long-term winning strategy for China either. I've, I've never really thought the way they've approached economic development. Again, we, we let them into the World Trading Organization. You know, Our belief was if, if China can help pull more of its people out of poverty, those people will demand freedom. It'll become a more pluralistic and democratic society. But that hasn't happened. China has remained an authoritarian uh, country. And rather than just a, you know, no worse than a friendly rival, they become an unfriendly adversary. Because, they, again, they have this viewpoint that they are going to dominate the world at some point in time. The, the danger of China is they have stolen probably trillions of dollars worth of uh, our intellectual property in terms of what it's meant for them. Uh, they have incredible, incredibly long-term thinking, uh, long-term strategies, and they've got an authoritarian system where those people laying out those strategies are in charge for a long, long time. You know, they, they continue to pl- use the playbook, Sun Tzu's Art of War, uh, you know, win a war without ever fighting a battle. So you know how they're going to operate. I mean, they, they lay it right, right out there. I think, unfortunately, what's happened in the West too often is we just simply don't believe it. We, 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 we believe the best. You know, we want to believe the best that, right. oh, no, this, this will all turn out. Everything will be coming up roses. Hopefully what's happening now is people's eyes are open that, no, there, there truly is evil in the world, evil that needs to be countered. And the best way to counter that evil is with a unified front of Western-style democracies. we got to hang together. And we, we, we can't let this axis of totalitarians, of tyrants, of authoritarians to gain greater power. Their power has to be diminished in the world. You've said that, you know, it scares the you-know-what out of people when somebody like Vladimir Putin puts his nuclear forces on high alert. I I know there have been a lot of discussions about is he bluffing? Is he just trying to use that as a point of leverage? Where does that aspect of this go? Like, could we really see some world war in which we've got this heightened tension over nuclear weapons? I mean, I can't... I can't fathom a nuclear weapon being used. I don't think anybody can. But to your earlier point, we keep wanting to believe that things couldn't happen or wouldn't happen. Are we, again, being naive? Well, it it certainly concerns everybody, which is why I don't want to see direct confrontation between Russia and NATO or the U.S. By the way, we have had, in recent history, direct confrontation. We we wiped out uh, a a couple hundred uh, Russian troops when they were were aggressive in, in Syria and threatening us. Um, but I, I've got to I've got to believe that uh, this is primarily saber rattling on the part of Putin, unless he truly is insane. And if he is insane, if he is crazy, I mean, I just I just think he's evil. But uh, let's say he is insane. Hopefully, he has enough people around him, even in his tightening inner circle, that have the sanity to realize that they're not going to carry out any order 
of use of nuclear weapons. Now, unfortunately, that group of people around him are carrying out the orders in terms of indiscriminately bombing civilian populations in Ukraine, uh, committing those atrocities, which and I would say war crimes. So you can't completely rely on that, but there is a counterpunch to their use of uh, nuclear weapons, which is just completely unthinkable. So hopefully uh, they also believe the use of nuclear weapons would be unthinkable. Do you feel there, you feel the president and this administration are handling things with Russia and Ukraine well? No, not, not at all. I mean, it is, it is the perceived weakness that has tempted tyrants like Putin. This, this dates back to previous administrations when President Obama would draw red lines and then not act on them. When, when the Obama administration uses the exact same words as the Biden administration, if, if something happens, there are going to be serious consequences, then there are never serious consequences. Remember when Russia invaded uh, eastern Ukraine, took over Crimea, uh, Congress unanimously authorized $300 million of lethal defensive weaponry, which Obama never supplied. President Poroshenko of Ukraine had to come to Congress saying, we can't, we can't defeat Russians. We, we can't fight a war with blankets and, and night goggles. Are these sanctions doing, doing something? Are these sanctions tough? Do they need to be tougher? They, they are quite tough. Uh, we're still allowing oil to be uh, flowing because so many of our allies are dependent on that oil and gas. Right. We, we've allowed Russia to you know, obtain this type of uh, economic leverage you know, th- through their oil and gas sales. That's, that's all they have. They've got oil and gas. They've got nuclear weapons. That's what allows Putin to do what he's doing. But again, we've allowed them to make people dependent on Russian oil and gas. Um, so, no, I mean, uh, you know, the, the Biden administration has weakened America across the board. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, thank you so much for your time. Take care. Stay well. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's not what anyone wants to hear or even to think about. I'm going to be honest. I am concerned about what's happening in Europe because I think there is not full understanding of it. Chicago Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwadi watching COVID cases rise yet again overseas, which tends to be an ominous sign of what's headed for the U.S. In this case, what the World Health Organization calls a sublineage of the highly transmissible Omicron variant. This subvariant, BA2, already beginning to spread quickly in the U.S. The CDC says it accounted for nearly one quarter of cases for the week ending March 12th nationwide, but much higher in some areas, nearly 40 in New York and New Jersey, for instance. New York City's new health commissioner, Dr. Ashwin Vassan, urging continued vigilance. People who have tried to predict what's going to happen in the future for this pandemic have repeatedly found egg on their face. The Biden administration has touted new treatments to help keep high-risk COVID patients out of the hospital, with some clinics offering either the Pfizer or Merck pills as soon as someone tests positive. But it's easy to miss the goal, starting the pills within five days of symptoms beginning, if that patient waited a while to get tested or doesn't want to try the new drugs. So far, there's no evidence the subvariant is more dangerous than Omicron, despite being even more transmissible. Well, it's not a new subvariant. It's been around since 
since November. We're just dusting it off now. Dr. Mark Siegel is a clinical professor at the NYU Langone School of Medicine and a Fox News medical contributor. Because we're seeing it surge in Europe and in the United Kingdom, and we know we're going to get it next in a bigger way because the percentage of the BA2 variant is doubling and tripling here, and we're seeing it in wastewater analysis so that we know that it's going to start to predominate. Now, why would it predominate over BA1? Because it's more contagious. That's always what it comes down to. It's about 30% more transmissible. But beyond that, there's not a lot of difference in terms of what we need to worry about. In other words, it's not more virulent. It doesn't get you more sick than BA1, not more likely to kill you than BA1. It's the same responsiveness to vaccines as BA1. So if you're fully boosted up, you have about a 70 to 80 percent chance of it keeping you out of the hospital, the vaccine and the booster itself. I mean, one booster. And if you had Omicron, one, the chances are very high that you're not going to get Omicron, too. You're not going to go from one subvariant to the next. Very unlikely. So I'm expecting to see cases increase, but I'm not expecting to see hospitalizations increase. And that's the key. That's what we're really looking at. How how many people get really sick? Is it possible to get overconfident at this point, though, if you will? I mean, okay, a lot of people had Omicron, yes. And in general terms, it didn't seem to hit people as severely as Delta in a lot of cases. But it's still not great news to hear that there's what amounts to another version of Omicron heading our way. I mean, it's hard to hear that. Well, we have a virus that's still got trillions of copies around the world, SARS-CoV-2, and viruses mutate. So we're going to see more variants. This is not a new variant. This is a, a variety of the old variant that we've been dealing with. And I'm not saying that that's good news, but I also don't like the division in the United States between fear mongers that constantly scare us and denialists who think the thing is gone. I don't think we need either reality. I think the real reality is that we've reached the point where we're preparing to live with this in ways where maybe we have a little bit of a better strategy on how to do that. I mean, I, I want to see more people get vaccinated and boosted. Why are only 50 percent of those that are eligible for the booster have gotten it? It makes no sense to me because with these variants, you need to be boosted. Why is the CDC still not counting natural immunity as some degree of protection, even if it's temporary? You know, why is there this big battle about masks going on still and mandates? And, you know, we got a vaccine that's useful. It decreases your risk of, of getting really sick from it. And another thing. Why are we underutilizing therapeutics? We've got Paxlovid, which is a great antiviral drug, but nobody knows where it is. And there's very little of it being prescribed. I want to see rapid testing connected to therapeutics. I want to see more monoclonal antibodies out there. I want to see less politicking and more medicine. You do tend to talk about natural immunity. Do we have any better idea now than we have up to this point about how long that protection from a recent infection lasts, especially when it comes to Omicron, which so many people had this past winter. You know, Lisa, that's one of the things that we've also gotten wrong, which is that whole discussion has been politicized by, you know, one camp doesn't recognize natural immunity at all. And the other camp only talks about natural immunity. The reality is that natural immunity is variable from one person to the next. You know, what are your immune defenses? How strong an immune response did you develop to that? It's not that entirely predictable. We think a severe case gives you more immune protection. We don't know that. It depends on the patient. 
you get a matter of protection for months. I don't think it's a year, but I think it's several months. I rather the discussion that I like to have, which is let's shoot for hybrid immunity. If you had Omicron, let me give you a shot too, because the combination of Omicron plus a shot of COVID vaccine is better protection than almost anything you can get. Pfizer and Moderna are talking about the potential for another booster. What do you think about that? I mean, are we in danger of discouraging people who maybe have been reluctant to get vaccinated so far, discouraging them more if they know that maybe now they need four shots if they want to be fully vaccinated? I think the messaging on that has been too confusing. I think that also Pfizer and Moderna have taken too long to get this to happen. I think that the Novavax shot has been delayed for too long. I think that's a nice alternative for people that are vaccine hesitant. I think that we're counting boosters too much. I think we need to get a shot that's protective against more than one variant at a time. I think that's where we're heading. And I think once we get there, we'll be able to message this better to the public because it's hard to convince anyone that a vaccine should be mandatory if the main purpose of the vaccine is keeping you out of the hospital. I mean, at the beginning of the vaccine coming out, it was clear that it decreased spread substantially. It still does to a large extent. If you're fully boosted, the chances of you spreading this are less. But the biggest reason for the vaccine is to decrease severity, severe infection. But there's also, again, been too big a debate over this. Public health versus personal rights versus personal choice. It's not the kind of discussion I want. I want to have a discussion where people do what's good for themselves and for those around them. And clearly taking a vaccine is a public health move that's in everybody's best interest. White House officials are talking about a shift in strategy, maybe focusing more on hospitalizations and deaths instead of transmissions. Is it time for that type of shift where, you know, a shift in what metrics are used to make recommendations and to decide where help is needed. It's long past time for the shift in metrics to severity and hospitalizations instead of case numbers. And it's really disturbing that shift wasn't made earlier because people that got mild cases were messaging on their own saying, well, that didn't bother me. I was fine. I think the thing that should have been done over a year ago, once the vaccine came out, was a shift to severity, but also long COVID should have been part of the discussion. So that would have been the better way to counter somebody who said, well, I just had a mild case. And then I say, yeah, but you spread it to someone else who didn't have just a mild case. They didn't end up hospitalized, but they got brain fog or they still can't smell. This is a dangerous virus. And the focus of our public health agency should be on severity and should have been from the beginning and especially should have been when the vaccine came out. But that that plus the discussion on long COVID. This is long overdue. In the process of waiting this long, the public health agencies, including the CDC, lost a lot of public confidence. That wasn't helped by all the politicization of the pandemic, of course. And that's been really difficult for me to deal with. China and Hong Kong have bad outbreaks right now. Is it partly due to the philosophy of getting to zero COVID there and You know, what if we never get there? Will our supply chains just be constantly disrupted for years to come? Zero COVID is not possible because the virus mutated into a form where the predominant form is so wildly contagious. That happened with Delta. It happened even more with Omicron. The idea of locking down whole societies over a thousand cases causes a tremendous damage. It almost seems like a public health muscle flexing. We can do it. Let me see if we can get you to do what we say. But meanwhile, 
those populations which thought they were beating the virus actually ended up with a virgin population that was more susceptible to the virus because they didn't have immunity from having had prior infection. Now, nobody wants you to have prior infection, but this clearly backfired, especially since China has a very poor vaccine. The Sinovac vaccine at best is 30 percent effective. And that there's not a lot of vaccine uptake in China of an effective vaccine. New Zealand and Australia is seeing much lower numbers, but their zero uh, tolerance strategy is definitely not working. And South Korea is seeing 600,000 cases a day. That's reinfections. But again, people that have never had it before because of this very heightened lockdown strategy, which now is backfiring. That's not to say that I don't believe in mitigating strategies. I actually believe that vaccine is the most effective mitigating strategy we have. I think masks should be used if there's a high amount of virus around in close quarters, especially in, among those who are at most risk. I think you could argue for restricting activities for those who are at highest risk, those with chronic conditions, the elderly. But the idea of locking down whole societies, like you're describing now, Lisa, in order to decrease uh, viral uptake or case numbers has clearly backfired. The White House has emphasized we have many more tools to fight COVID now than we used to. Do we have enough? Do we have enough of each tool, like the therapeutics, you know, aimed at stopping COVID from at least becoming serious in in people who get it? Are we on the right path that way so that we really don't have to be as afraid of another variant like the one that's on its way? We need to transition the vaccines to a second generation vaccine that covers more variants. Again, I want to see Novavax and maybe Sanofi approved in the meantime. I like the idea that Pfizer and Moderna are making vaccines that will cover more variants or at least Omicron. Those should be out. Those need to be moved on. We're taking baby steps there. We need vaccine availability for the very young. Also, we're not there yet. Therapeutics are not being utilized effectively. I think that Paxlovid needs to be connected to rapid testing. Okay, we're finally getting the rapid tests out there. But Biden administration's program, you go to your pharmacy, you get a rapid test, and then you get Paxlovid. That's not how I would do it. I would do it with you take a test at home and you have a telemedicine app like EMED, for example, that allows you to reach a doctor, not a pharmacist, who then can prescribe you Paxlovid and tell you what drugs not to take with it. So I like the home model. I think we haven't gotten there yet. I think we all have iPhones, so we can definitely do this by telemedicine. I think the monoclonal antibody situation has been atrocious. I think that we have Citrovimab and we have EvuShield for those who are most at risk. I don't think we're using therapeutics effectively enough. I think that the Biden administration has been a one-trick pony on the vaccines and they've underperformed in all of the areas. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical contributor, thank you so much for your time. Oh, great pleasure, Lisa. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? Here in Brooklyn, we have an expression. Pronounced with exasperation, it goes, this freaking guy over here. It's not a compliment. And if you look up that particular outer borough Bon Mott these days, you'll see a picture of the smug, smiling face of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. 
A mere seven months after what seemed like half the women in his orbit credibly accused him of harassment, forcing him to resign, he's making a comeback. It's equal parts horrifying and amazing. The gobsmacking gall of Cuomo is truly something to behold, even for New York. His meteoric rise and shambolic fall against the backdrop of COVID was symbolic of our society's disastrous response to the pandemic. Now his farcical attempt at political rehabilitation is a clue as to how Democrat governors will come to terms with their failures. With a straight face, they will claim they did a great job. Back in August of last year, his resignation came as a surprise to many who have followed his career. Most expected him to fight to the end in the face of calls for his impeachment. What is now clear is that Cuomo was not falling on his sword. He was living to fight another day. And that day is now as he runs political ads and reports suggest he will run for governor again. The first obvious point to make about this Hindenburg of hubris is that neither he nor any Democrat who supports him get to say another word about believing all women. Let's recall that this freaking guy with a straight face, no less, actually said that he gets a little handsy because he's Italian. No, he really said that. While shenanigans with the fairer sex are more than enough to disqualify him from any position of power, it's not even the biggest reason why the Cuomo comeback must be mocked into oblivion. That, of course, would be his deadly handling of nursing homes that killed thousands, which he lied about while authoring a book celebrating it. What Cuomo is counting on is that Democrats nationally and in the Empire State will be eager to rewrite the history of our COVID response and restore him to the farcical pedestal he was placed upon early in the pandemic. Fueled by corrupt practices at CNN, allowing him fawning coverage by his brother Chris, who himself would be fired in disgrace, the myth of Cuomo, the great COVID hero, is rearing its ugly, lying head again. And here's the thing on this. It might work. And if this smarmy, slimy, and second-rate scion of New York's most famed political family is to succeed, it will be by painting himself as the victim of his critics. This freaking guy indeed. This isn't really a Cuomo comeback. He never left. But rest assured, no matter how many sycophantic Democrats in Albany creep back into his good graces, there are those of us who know, who lived through the debacle of his failed leadership, and who will never ever let the world forget what a horrible little man he really is. Andrew Cuomo wants to be governor again. Well, we have another expression here in Brooklyn. Forget about it. I'm David Marcus, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at guybensonshow.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.